As many of you know, my ancestry goes back to my dad being an immigrant in, uh, uh, to the United States and he immigrated from, uh, from Albania. And, uh, uh, Albania is the, probably the poorest country next to Bulgaria in all of Europe. And so when someone asks, would you like to have dual citizenship in where your father was born? The answer is, of course not. <laughs> Why would I want that? My, my, my son was born in Australia. And he had an option up until the age of 21 to have a dual citizenship in Australia. And he chose not to. My wife, Barbara, had an option to be a Canadian citizen. And up until she was the age of 21, and she opted not to. I, I want to say this. Um, uh, I'm an American citizen, and uh, we are at a stage where the political climate is everything that's wrong with America, everything we're going to fix. Uh, having visited 20 countries, uh, ha- having um, lived in another country for six years, having dealt with uh, orphans and abandoned children in Romania and, and other things, you know, as I look at all that, I'm not going anywhere, okay? I have this passport, and I love using this passport. And uh, I'm not afraid of terrorists saying you're an American. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do away with you. I'm really proud to use this wherever I go. However, I want you to know, when I tried to get in India, they didn't like this. Okay, and and they said, uh, no, we're not going to give you a visa. So I didn't get to go to India last year. But in general, when I go to most countries, uh, they look at this and they accept me. Now, the reason I bring this up is that I want you to know that even though this is my only earthly citizenship, about 51 years ago, I received dual citizenship. Yes. You say, Jim, you don't look like a day over 30, and you don't look like a liar, okay? But I received a dual citizenship. I was brought into the kingdom of God. And there's not a passport like this, but there is the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in me, And that Holy Spirit is recognized by all the heavenly realms of those of God. When I became a citizen of heaven, understand that with that was coming spiritual transformation, not just citizenship. It's not that I feel everything that's changing going on in me, but I am given promises by God. And last time I checked, God keeps all of his promises, and all means all, and that's all all means. In other words, every promise he makes, he will fulfill. Now, as I bring this up, I, I, I just want you to know that as I, uh, uh, as I go through custom lines in different countries, and they always ask to see my passport and do I declare anything, that they, uh, with God, there's not a heavenly custom line. But I... I I would also like to say that everything about being in the kingdom of God is good. It's wonderful. It it just takes my life to to new heights that I could never experience without it. But that's not true. Because with my citizenship in the heavenly realms also came some challenges that I continue to face. Let me give an example. Um, In the 1960s, A lot of my friends, when I was in college, would graduate 
And that upon graduation, they would get a letter from the Defense Department. And the letter said, greetings from the Defense Department. You're reporting for duty. We are drafting you. Now, we no longer have a draft. You have to register for the draft, uh, at least you guys, and maybe eventually you, you, all of you ladies too. But we no longer have a draft. But if you have a dual citizenship in the nation of Israel, at the age of 18, you're theirs. You will be trained for war. And when I received my dual citizenship in the kingdom of God, I was not planning on being a soldier, but God was. And part of this dual citizenship that we're talking about means that uh, I am going to be not just trained for war, but equipped for war. Uh, This passage that we get to, our next to last one in this series in, in Ephesians, it deals with spiritual warfare. And as we're looking at it, you know, my desire is like always to be cute about it. But friends, when you're talking about war and you're talking about something that is spiritual and you're talking about we're fighting an adversary, Satan and his forces, humor doesn't work too well. And, and so here at Bergen Park Church, we have this, this thing we call a transformation model. And, and when we show that, we want you to know that when you come into the kingdom of God and you get your heavenly citizenship, that something else is going on in your life. You are being transformed into the image of God. And as he goes through that process with you, he has some desires for you. He wants you to go deeper with him. And in spiritual warfare, you'll need to go deeper with God. He wants you to go closer to other believers. And in spiritual warfare, you want to go closer to other believers. And he wants you to reach further to to the other side. He wants you to reach out to those who need to defect and come over to your side. And so you're going to be going through this process. And it's part of this, this warfare that we are facing. Now, I believe that because we live in such a secular world, we often think there's no spiritual warfare out there. I have enough problems just on the, you know, on the physical parts. I, I have enough problem driving to work. I have enough problems uh, uh, paying my bills. I have enough problems getting along with other people. Why are they always, why is it everybody else is so difficult? And, and, and so we, it's very easy to take away our, our, our view of what God is doing in the heavenly realms and what he wants to be happening to us. So I want to talk about the realities of this spiritual warfare. And it, and it begins this way. Please, don't work on avoiding, but concentrate on fighting this war. Uh, Let me read Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm beginning at verse 10, and I'll just go through the first part, as it talks about the realities of this war. And you are in a warfare if you are in the kingdom of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. It repeats this idea of standing your ground, of being in a defensive position as the evil one tries to attack you. As the evil one tries to get right at the weaknesses uh, uh, that may be a part of your life. And so if we say, well, I'm just going to opt out of this war, understand Satan has not. This is not a human war where we, you know, we try to avoid all human wars because of the destruction that comes with it. This is a spiritual war. And so in this spiritual war, we're told, be strong in God. And notice that it also says, in his power. Now, one of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, as we go back to chapter 3, is that they would be filled with God's power. And that they'd be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and the spiritual power that comes through this. Now, the, the spiritual power that is offered is not foretelling what will be the lottery numbers coming up in, in, you know, in, 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 in the next week. The spiritual power that's coming is saying simply this, there is warfare going on and you need a spiritual power to do a spiritual war. You can't opt out. You can't avoid it. You cannot immigrate to Canada because they're fighting it there too. Every Christian is in this war, fighting the same war wherever he or she may be. The second reality of this war is, you, you know, don't deny that it exists. But instead, focus on winning it. God intends, because he is God, to win this war and to rule over his entire creation. And he's going to bring all of humanity back to him. He is winning the war because he has sent his, his only son, his very son, Jesus, to defeat the devil on this earth. And he set, and his goal, goal is to set the captives to the devil, set those captives free. So we should be expecting to win, not to lose. And we should also understand that the chief mechanism for our victory is the equipment that God provides us. Hey, I, I live in a secular world. If I was to talk to many of my neighbors that say, what spiritual war? There's no spiritual war going on. And they deny that it even exists. If you deny it exists, you're losing. Maybe you've lost. The next thing is don't go to it with ignorance, but with intelligence. It says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's quite an enemy. And sometimes, you know, out of our ignorance, we would say, there's no, there's nothing spiritual. It's just all, you know, sort of material. So there's two things here that I think are important for us to understand uh, so that we're intelligent in the war that we are facing. First of all, that our war is not against people. There are evil people who do evil things. But our war is not, as it says there, against flesh and blood. But as it goes on, it talks about rulers, powers of this dark world, not the, you know, not, not, not God's world, and against spiritual forces of evil. And notice that it says, this is not on earth, it's not against people, but it's spiritual uh, uh, powers in the heavenly realms. There is an evil one. You can call him what you want. 
Satan, the devil. You can just keep on. He has an army that fights with him and for him. His goal is to destroy the faith on this earth and to destroy you. So in, in, at the very beginning of our studies here, we were looking at who is this God? Well, he is the one who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we look through what many of those spiritual blessings are. But it's just not all good. There's challenges. There's a war going on. And so there are evil spiritual powers in the heavenly realms that affect us here on earth. And the final thing is God is not looking for heroes to win the Medal of Honor. God is looking for soldiers who will take commands from him. You are not to fight this war alone. But instead you're finding yourself standing shoulder to shoulder with those in your home, shoulder to shoulder with those in your church. You don't want to be a legend of someone who charged by yourself and got clobbered. You want to be a, 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 a you might say, a, a, a success story. A success story of someone who went in as a part of a group, part of a church, uh, part of an equipped cadre. And when they went in, they found that together they could do things that they, you could never do alone. This word, you, appears many times in this passage. That you will do this, and you will do this, and you will do that. As most of us read it, we apply it to ourselves. It's never singular. It's always plural. It's spoken to a whole church, and that was to be spoken to uh, the, the other churches in the region. And the idea is that together you will see uh, defeat coming towards the evil one. You will be winning over him in ways that you could never do it together. Now, the image that's used here is an image that was used for hundreds of years. The image that he's using here is like a, uh, uh, like the 300 Spartans that stood at Thermopylae. And, and they had all of their equipment together and they were in this phalanx of this triangle where they could take, you know, the, the, the Persian soldiers and whatever else that came forward and, and, and together they could do something that they couldn't do one, one to one. that is about 2,500 years old. This is the same sort of picture that was being used as Paul was talking about the Roman uh, armies. And the gear was pretty much the same. Probably the best analogy we have is something like this that you will see. I know it looks a little awesome. But I, I want you to know every time that I've been in a situation like this, isn't only once or twice, I was behind them. I wasn't in front of them. I wasn't part of the problem. I was one of the protected and you want to be behind them. But as you look at that, notice there's gas masks. There's, I mean, this is what I think we would use today to talk about the spiritual warfare we fight. It's like those dressed in riot gear, a riot squad. And what their job is, is to protect those both on, on, on both sides, but also for those who are protesting or those who are violent, to protect themselves that they're not hurt. Look what's happened in the last year or so. When we looked at Ferguson, Missouri, we were told these guys were far too militaristic. 
And there's probably some truth there. But we looked at Dallas, and in Dallas they were just uh, dressed without the riot gear, and, and they were slaughtered. We are told that you have this equipment, and it comes from God. You have the equipment, and you have the tactics from the heavenly places, not from the Pentagon. Now, as I get into what this armament is, what, what this standard equipment is for every Christian soldier... I want you to hear that this is um, this is more like a metaphor or a simile, not an allegory. An allegory is something where this is exactly what this is. See, every analogy that we're going to use here does not fit perfectly. And I'm not going to share how it's the same and how it's different. But it's the big picture here. That God gives you a group of, of standard equipment that you can use, and it'll, you'll look something like this. And again, uh, you want to see them from behind, don't you? But it's good to know that what they've got is up front. Because it protects them as well as protecting you. So it starts with a belt. Now, in ancient Rome, in ancient Greece, this belt was what would gird up these the, the loose clothing that they usually wore. So today it holds all types of equipment that our, our, our current police would need, including uh, uh, usually a communications link, uh, often a holster for their handguns, uh, ammunition. They've got all sorts of things. It's where they keep their pepper spray. It's all right there. The issue, though, that we're looking at is the belt is the belt of truth. It's called the belt of truth given by God. Let me begin again in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you can stand uh, withstand all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So here is the equipment that's listed. Begins with the belt. And it's called the belt of truth. And again, the analogy does not fit perfectly. But understand that one of the great uh, tactics of Satan is he loves to lie. In fact... If Satan said, you know, Jim, you look just like Chris Helmworth, Helmsworth, who, who plays Thor. And if I heard that from Satan, the first thing that would happen would be, yeah, you know, you're right. But the second was, wait a minute, what's the source? I've been lied to. <laughs> but I've been lied to. What do liars do? They lie. Sometimes... All the time. That's why they're called liars. If they told the truth, they wouldn't be liars anymore. Satan is called a liar. And he fools us with lies. He lies to you about God. He lies to you about yourself. Satan is a liar. Liars lie. Whatever he says is meant to entice us. And it is a lie. So that's the first thing. you got to have truth. you got to know what the truth is. The next it says we got to have our vest on or the breastplate. Be similar to the Kevlar vest that stops bullets from penetrating the vital organs of, of, of a policeman's torso. 
And this is called our righteousness. Now, understand uh, that in all of these seven things that we're, that we're looking at, uh, if you've ever been in the armed services, you're called a GI. And GI used to stand for, and still does, government issued. In other words, those clothing that you're wearing, the the the, um, uh, the rifle that you're, everything, it's all GI. It's government issued. When it says it's issued by the government, who owns it? The government. When you leave, you're supposed to give it back. I know some of you kept souvenirs, but you're supposed to give it back. When we're looking at all of these armaments that we have, they are GI also. God issued. He gives you what you cannot get for yourself. So the next thing is this this breastplate stands for the righteousness that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but some of you are very good people, and some of you are more moral than I am. Um, But you're not righteous on your own. And we have to understand that all of us are susceptible to accusations that come at us. And Satan, one of his names is called the great accuser. And he loves to accuse the believers. He loves you to think, you can't really be a Christian. I just, you know, I'm aware of what you just thought. I'm I'm aware of the words you just said. And you call yourself a Christian. See, the truth is, my righteousness comes from God and begins to change me continually. But God will always look at me as having his righteousness that that is GI, God-issued. It comes from God and it overcomes over time our inconsistencies. And I can withstand the accusations against me because God is my righteousness, which is one of his titles in the Old Testament. Third thing you need are, are, are boots. It says, and your feet will be shod or be fitted with, with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. If you want to get to me and immobilize me, Take anything sharp or heavy and pound the instep of my foot. I'm not going anywhere but the ground. Uh, the, the Roman soldiers would have to put on, you know, these sandals. And, and today, my guess is that the riot police, as they're in their gear to protect me and them, as they're in their gear, it has a steel toe and it has a rubber sole so they can't be pushed. They, they can't be pushed aside. They might be knocked down, but they can't be pushed aside. And these boots are called, you know, the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is good news. Understand that we as Christians have a unique message that we get to speak. We get to speak about Jesus dying on his cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rising again for our eternal life. There is not another faith that speaks of this. You are unique. It is a unique message. It is good news. That's what gospel means. More than that, this gospel comes to me not because of my deeds, as we were reading in Ephesians chapter 2, but because of the death of Jesus Christ, his substitute for my death. So wherever I go, I have the gospel, and and I get to take it with me. Wherever I go, I'm never barefoot in this battle. I can use the words to speak that gospel. I can do the deeds of that gospel. So he says, you know, make sure you, you are not barefoot. Next, there is a shield, and I love that. You see that shield? I want one of those. 
I've seen people use them, and they're just very effective, and often they're much bigger. In other words, you could hide behind it, put it, it's not that things are thrown at you, but you could put your whole body behind it. And the idea of a shield here is it says <clears throat> uh, the shield is the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows uh, of the evil one. Now, here was how they fought war 2,000 years ago. You take an arrow as an archer, you dip it in tar, someone comes by and lights it, you you shoot it, you shoot it at a, you know, a faraway object, but hopefully it's going to hit an opposing soldier. So the Romans, knowing that these shields, you know, uh, uh, that they were carrying these shields, would often uh, soak them in water, even though they were leather, they would soak them in water, and they'd, they'd put them up as the arrows, flaming arrows, came down. And it would help extinguish. Not completely, but it would help. So... <clears throat> Here, here's what he's talking about. The evil one has, um, the equivalent today, the evil one is throwing at you Molotov cocktails. And your shield is going to disperse it. Your shield is going to cast it away. It may still break. It may still catch fire. But it won't get beyond your shield. It protects you from flames. You will not catch fire. Our faith is a shield. Faith tells me that God has done what he promises and will continue to do what he promises. Faith causes me to trust that I am forgiven from my past, even though I continue to sin. Faith uh, lets me know that Satan loves to bring up my past and use it against me. Faith keeps me focused on God and what his promises are and what he's done for me. So let's face it, at least me, I'm not good enough to be God's child. But God is great enough. God is great enough, and that's my shield of faith. It is not because I am talented. It is because God has said, this faith which I have introduced you to, which you are growing in, this will will, uh, stop all the flaming arrows that the evil one is shooting at you. Then there's a helmet. And the helmet, it says, is the helmet of salvation. Again, how are we saved? Through grace. It was a gift of God. We got our salvation through grace. I didn't earn my salvation. There's nothing I did to to say that I deserve this. So the helmet protects my head or my nerve center. And, And that is where my senses are. But more than that, it's where my mind and my thoughts are. And where my values are. It's called the helmet of salvation because when God saves me from my sin, he begins to transform my thoughts and my values. They begin to change. I take on the values of my heavenly citizenship. Not only am I marked as being a citizen, but I start to look like one. Little story for those of you who spent much time in Europe. There's a this international women's gathering that has gone on forever and ever. And a, a Christian woman, and once it was held in Munich, also in the news again. And so all these women from all around the world, they come together, and, uh, and, and of course in Munich, you go to whatever that place is where the Stein is, I forget what it's called, but you get that Stein, you, you have a beer, and there are the, um, American woman. And they're looking at the European woman drinking a beer, and they go, 
oh no, that can't be you. And they begin to do what Satan does and accuse them. Well, guess what the German women are doing? You are made up like a prostitute. Your dress is above your ankle. Your lipstick. You even shaved. You see what it's like when we're talking about this this salvation? If we don't doubt it, we probably have other people around who will help us doubt it. Who will look at the things on the outside and not understand that God is in the process of transforming my thoughts and my values and how I look at other people. Paul said this in the Corinthians. I don't think like that anymore. I've grown up. I don't look at the little things. I don't judge people on the little things of of their appearance or anything like that. And I'm beginning to be transformed. And I am diminishing the effect of my earthly citizenship and my earthly prejudices. In our political season, aren't we going to be hearing a lot about how do we restore the American dream? We're going to be hearing a lot about that. Both sides will bring it up. This is how you do it as a Republican. This is how you're going to do it as a Democrat. And, 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 you know, one of the things that God begins to transform as he's, as he's looking at this helmet, he says, no, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with the American dream. You're welcome to pursue that. But I want to give you kingdom dreams. Is your mind changing? Is your, are your values changing? To understand that one of the things I want to do in your life One of the plans I have for you is to make you a person of deeper influence for the faith to other people. You need your helmet on. You need to protect your mind and your thoughts and your values to do this. You need to diminish the effects of your earthly citizenship so your kingdom dreams can take precedence. And one of the ways these happen is through the offensive uh, uh, weapon of the sword. And he says, and don't forget to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, as this was written, the Bible as we know it was not written. It was not yet produced. They probably had maybe one gospel, maybe two, but they didn't have all four. Uh, Paul was still writing his letters, and this is one of the early ones. They didn't, but, but they had the word of God from the Old Testament. They had the word of God talking about who Jesus is. They had the teaching of the apostles, and they used that. So today, police, you'd see them using more clubs and, 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 if necessary, handguns. But they do the same thing. The issue is, this is a defensive war. Satan fires first, and we fire back. The tactic is, is he is going to attack us. Are we ready to fight back? So we fire back when fired upon, and I'm fired upon all the time. So whatever Satan's tactic may be, my job is to throw it back at him. Jesus did this perfectly. He's out in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And Satan comes and he attacks him. And you know what Satan does? He says, you know, if you were really God's son. And then he gives some of these promises in the Old Testament. If you were really God's son. What is he doing? 
He's basically saying, I'm using the word against you. And what did Jesus do? He used the word back. And he wins. Once, twice, three times. Satan goes, shoot. Curses, foiled again. This guy's really smart. Well, yeah, I'm not. And so the word of God doesn't come very easily for me, but I understand that uh, where Satan uses the words poorly from the Old Testament, Jesus uses it powerfully. And all this week, I've just been working on this verse, which I often uh, apply incorrectly. From 1 John uh, 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know what Christians often do, and often me too? I just assume that I, I, I leave out he who is in you and just greater is you than he who is in the world. I forget about God. Correctly stated, it's greater who is he who is in you than he is in the world. The idea here is I'm not focused on Satan. I'm not focused on my talents or my abilities, but I'm focused on God's talents and abilities. I'm focused on his promises. And it's about the one who is in me. It's not about me and who happens to be in me. Final thing it's mentioning there is we've got to understand that there's a communication process going on here. We have a communications device, and it's called prayer. We don't blow trumpets. We don't, uh, you know, do signal flags. We talk to God, and we make sure that part of our conversation is a dialogue, and we let him talk back to us. Many of us find ourselves praying once the battle is over, and we've lost. And that's called asking forgiveness. That's fine. The idea here is you're praying before the battle and you're praying in the battle. You're keeping in communications so that the evil one will not jam your channels. If he can keep you from communicating, he can keep you from winning. So what's the armor? Again, it's not, and you can do Bible studies that will go into great depth of each of these pieces of armor. But it, it, the armor is an analogy. And so the armor is talking about these things, the GI government or God-issued things that God has granted to you. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. He's saying, take up all of these. And as Satan attacks you, understand that with a shield and everything else, he can push against you, but you will still stand. You may fail, but you can still stand. And you can still be strong. Say that you, you know, I really don't need all of those armor. I, I really don't need each of that piece of equipment, each piece of that equipment. I, I'll just take one or two with me. Famous Texas philosopher. Nobody knows his name, but they know what he said. Never take a knife to a gunfight. Never. Make sure that wherever you go, whenever you go, you take the full armor, you put it all on. It's in you. It's, you know, it comes with the Holy Spirit. And your job is to access it. Never believe that you're talented enough to stand against Satan without his armor or without other believers standing close to you. One of the images of, uh, of the evil one is uh, that he's like a lion, prowling. And uh, here's what lions do if you... I'm not an expert on lions, but... 
here's here's how they do it. They like to hunt at night when they can't be seen. They like to go real slow like a cat and crouch in the grass. They 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 like to look for those who are the weakest of the herd, those who've strayed from the herd, those uh, who who are no longer in, in the midst of a herd but are away from it. And and that is why it says, you know, this is what he is like. He is like a prowling lion looking for unprotected prey. So we take on the full armor. We accept it as a dual citizen. And that's, I guess, what I need to close with. I realize that in a secular world, some people are scratching their heads saying, I've never experienced this. Come into my country. Become a citizen of the kingdom of God. I promise you will. More than that, your passport is what God promises will come to you. He will send his Holy Spirit to live in you. And when he sends his Spirit, he comes with all the GI stuff that you need. Are you in God's kingdom, number one. Number two, are you feeling defeated being in God's kingdom? It's just not going well right now. And you're under attack. Are you feeling that maybe you are unarmed or not using all the armor that you have? That's what we face, friends. That's what we face. I'd like to pray for all of those right now. Let's pray. Father, crossing the line of faith today is similar to changing our citizenship, taking on a dual citizenship, crossing the border. I went from being a skeptic and not believing to realizing that maybe some of the things going on in my life, if not all of the things are coming from the heavenly realms. Some of the bad occurrences and situations are not just caused by other people. But the evil one is attacking me. Today, you can cross that line of faith and realize that Jesus can do for you what you could never do for yourself. And you simply say, Lord, I receive you as the one who forgives my sins, gives me eternal life, and makes me a citizen of the kingdom of God. Some of us are in a severe battle, and you feel like you're not winning. Father, I pray for these people right now. That not only would they put on your whole armor, but they would stand with other soldiers, other people in the squad, and that they would refuse to stand alone. And Father, because he's called the accuser, the only things that get through to us are the things that he knows will work.
And he'll continue to say it again and again and again. So, Father, some of us need to put on a piece of armor we've laid down. The shield, the helmet, whatever it may be, we need to put it on and keep it on so that we can stand and stand firm in the armor that you've provided for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.